Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Good afternoon, Zinger Nation. My name is Logan Ross, and this is Moon or Bust, your home for all things altcoins and decentralized finance. It is my absolute pleasure to present you with today's second episode of Moon or Bust live from Detroit, Michigan. Today, we'll be talking to billionaire venture capitalist legend Tim Draper about why he purchased over 30,000 Bitcoin back in 2014 and what he thinks about the future of decentralized finance. So clear your schedules, get your snacks, and get ready for the biggest episode of Moon or Bust in the history of the show. I am joined today by DeFi developer Brian Moore and Layer 2 enthusiast Ryan McNamara. Uh, as always, make sure to connect with us and Tim Draper on Twitter. I would like to bring Tim onto the stream. Tired of getting left behind on winning trades? Join Benzinga's free masterclass on July 24th to learn how to spot breakout trades before they skyrocket. Featuring live interactive lessons on how to trade meme stocks, read charts, identify trends, and so much more. To register for free, go to events.benzinga.com. Hey, Logan. Uh, so I'd like to, hey, how's it going? I'd like to welcome you to, to Moon or Bust. You're an inspiration of mine. So for those of you who don't know, Tim Draper uh, was an early investor in Hotmail, Skype, Tesla, SpaceX, SolarCity, Twitter, Twitch, Ledger, Coinbase, Robinhood, and the list goes on. Uh, Tim has been right time and time again, discovering the next big thing seemingly before everyone else. In 2014, Tim purchased over 30,000 Bitcoin seized from the Silk Road at an average price of around $600 per Bitcoin. At today's prices, Tim is around $1 billion in the black on that trade alone. Tim, how does it feel to be right so much of the time? <laughs> I'm wrong more than I'm right. I, the way I look at it is, is when I make an investment, I'm saying, what what will the world looks look like if these entrepreneurs are successful? I, I'm always thinking, what if it works? I'm never thinking about what could go wrong. I'm always thinking, what if it works? And if it works, does it make our world a better place? Does it create more freedom and trust? Does it uh, build a better communication system around the world? Does it allow us to get off this planet or does it make this planet better? Does it make um, human health better? Um, all of those things. And then, um, and that's how I make my investment decisions. And so I, I miss a lot of big investments because I think, well, I'm not sure how big it can get, but, um, or, or how important it is. Uh, but I've, I've uh, hit a few. <laughs> Hey, well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for coming on today. I know you're a busy guy, so we appreciate you making the time. Um, so my first question is, is how has your investment philosophy changed since you founded DFJ in 85? So um, I actually founded Draper Associates in 85. We brought okay. John Fincher in in 91 and then Jervitson in in 93. And then we renamed it in 94. 
gotcha. and then it went back to Draper Associates. I, I spun out and went back to Draper Associates. Um, but, you know, when I first got going, I was knocking on doors of new uh, new development <laughs> projects to see any in any anywhere there was a sign that said something software. And that was how I was finding my investments. So it's changed a lot. We've um, we've gone from that to where um, the venture capital and entrepreneurship have spread around the world, which kind of was my mission in life. I saw what it did for the Silicon Valley uh, secondhand watching as my dad was an investor. And then um, I started to uh, spread the word and that was a, a big part of it. But now there are so many entrepreneurs out there and there, there are so many venture capitalists out there that it's gotten to be very competitive, but it's also allowed creative people from wherever they may be to enter this really extraordinary, exciting market. So uh, I would say it's changed in a, in a big way, but the, uh, the benefits are still there. <clears throat> And I don't think there's a limit to how great this can be because more and more people can um, can continue to innovate and it allows all those people to innovate. It used to be way back when it was sort of this Silicon Valley and a little from Route 128 in Boston. And those were the only people that were starting businesses of any technology businesses. Mm-hmm. And then it evolved so that Silicon Valley has has been exported. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And now we're moving into another level mm-hmm. where because of the, the Internet was the one who really helped us spread this uh, technology and entrepreneurship around the world and venture capital. But now um, Bitcoin and the blockchain and smart contracts are making it so that the the world economy has a new platform from which to operate and the geographic borders are starting to fall and what that means is that we're taking this anthropological leap forward uh, as a human people uh, very exciting you know the the borders were really important for a while it was like you don't cross this border I don't cross this border and we can both build our families and our communities without fear of invasion on that border. And that was great for a while. Um, But then years, many years later, the internet came and we realized that by communicating across that border, we were both better off. And uh, and having no border was even better. Uh, The European Union started to make it so that there really wasn't any border. Um, And, and we both benefit because like, let's say you create, uh, let's say you have a farm and I have a house. If if uh, we don't trade with each other, I die of starvation and then you die of exposure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if we trade and then multiply that by the 8 billion people around the world and all their creativity, they're all helping one another and us. Uh, and providing us better lives, and we should encourage that. So uh, free trade is so important. Open borders are so important. Um, 
Bitcoin is so important because it's a, a global, uh, frictionless, open, transparent, well-recognized currency. Very exciting to see yeah, what it, Bitcoin it, can do for the world. And and uh, down the road, we're going to look 10 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, God, remember when, when people used currencies that were linked to political forces, linked to government or military groups? whatever, mm-hmm. or, or countries that would just keep printing currency like Venezuela and Argentina and Nigeria. Um, uh, now uh, we've got a new currency. And once I can use my Bitcoin, I can use it at some places, KFC and other places, but uh, KFC in Canada. Um, uh, once I can use it for pretty much anything I want to buy, I will make the complete transfer uh, and and move all my fiat to Bitcoin because who's going to want a currency that is um, tied to political forces and subject to inflationary pressures? Mm-hmm. When the government printed trillions of dollars, uh, that made all the dollars that were out there originally worth less. Uh so why would I hold a currency like that when I can hold one that uh, there are only 21 million of them and and it's going to be recognized around the world? So the most predictable inflation strategy there is. More question. Sorry, say that again. That was a long answer to uh, a short okay. question. So, so my next question was, do you see blockchain technology as an evolution of the internet or something separate entirely? It sounds like you see it as more of a sociological um, you know, evolution than more of an evolution of the internet. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I call it an anthropological leap because mm-hmm. it's really the study of humanity rather than the study of a society. Um, and and yes, I think, um, I mean, think about what you can do with Bitcoin, the blockchain, a smart contract, and then artificial intelligence and surveillance. Suddenly, you where the internet transformed communications, gaming, entertainment, mm-hmm. media, whatever, taxis, mm-hmm. uh, the um, the Bitcoin and the, and those other technologies have the potential to transform uh, banking. Clearly, that's mm-hmm. already happening. Um, finance. We're hoping that we can use it for finance where I can raise money in Bitcoin, invest it all in Bitcoin, have the, the companies pay their employees and suppliers in Bitcoin through uh, mm-hmm. Bitcoin, and, uh, and have that all on one big smart contract. And the auditing and the accounting and the bookkeeping is all done automatically on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. So that is the future of investing, I believe. And so that, that's going to change finance for good. And uh, people will keep their ownership on the blockchain so it can't be manipulated. Um, it, and, and so the share, the, the trading of shares is going to be on the blockchain. All of that is going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, commerce is going to change because with open node, you're going to be able to pay um, any, any merchant uh, without a credit card, without paying the banks two and a half to four percent every time you swipe your credit card, mm-hmm. so uh, so that's going to be a new change, and so commerce will change, uh, and the merchants will use open note, and then great things will happen. 
And then, and then insurance is going to change because mm -hmm. I can actually, you know, how insurance companies work now is that you pay your premium, you pay your premium, you pay your premium, and then you uh, have a claim. And then the insurance company fights you about the claim and you're in a battle, sometimes a legal battle. And then finally, there's some sort of a settlement and the insurance company pays something. Well, what if you had an insurance company, you pay your premiums, and then even before you knew that your house burned down, there would be Bitcoin sitting in your wallet because they have surveillance and they, they spot when a house is being burned down and here's the money, it shows up in your wallet and you don't have to fight any insurance company any, anywhere anymore. I think that's gonna change insurance. And what is government? but a series of insurance companies. Mm -hmm. it's, it's your healthcare insurance, your workman's comp insurance, your unemployment insurance, your uh, social security, your pension, your welfare, all those things are insurance programs. <clears throat> they can all be worked out somehow with surveillance or monitoring mm -hmm. and built into a smart contract mm -hmm. with Bitcoin on the blockchain. So that's gonna change government government itself is going to change that the the local part of government will always be there but well i don't know maybe there are ways to deal with that too but all of these other governmental services that are all based on insurance can be transformed by the blockchain and then the final one i want to talk about is healthcare, mm -hmm. because with artificial intelligence, um, by using, by keeping all your data on the blockchain, um, people can do diagnostics and therapeutics all through data. And, uh, and, and we're finding like CloudMedics actually um, manage, they do, uh, they monitor data and they have all everybody's healthcare records on there and they, are outperforming the average doctor on, on properly diagnosing patients. So, and when combined with a doctor, they do even better. So um, uh, diagnostics is gonna be that plus more, like it'll include things like uh, your Fitbit results and your blood test and your genetic history and your uh, where you sat on the airplane and all that data is going to do a better job of diagnostics. And then in therapeutics, of course, when we all had this virus came along, um, all of the, the uh, vaccines and cures for the virus were all tied to the dry lab. They were all invented on the computer screen. They were not invented in the wet lab. And so data, once again, is using, they're using computational biochemistry. And that, I think, is going to transform healthcare. So if you're going after any of those industries, I'm, I'm a big um, potential backer. <clears throat> Agreed. So, so banking, insurance, healthcare, and the government, they're all currently being disrupted by blockchain technologies and more specifically smart contracts. Uh, now, I know you talked about smart Bitcoin, contracts on Bitcoin. On Bitcoin is completely transforming the banking system. And hopefully we'll also transform the finance world. 
Yeah, and Bitcoin is the first example of decentralized finance. But since then, smart contracts have enabled a huge ecosystem of decentralized applications, mostly on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, so with all the action happening more recently on Ethereum uh, and in Bitcoin slow to catch up, slow to add smart contracts, do you foresee Ethereum surpassing Bitcoin's market cap in the future? No, I, I look at Bitcoin as the, uh, as the Microsoft and all the other company, all the other uh, altcoins as um, as the word perfect Lotus one, two, three um, uh, in the database, early database companies, um, because what Microsoft did was they waited until certain things were really interesting and then they brought it into their operating system. And I think the Bitcoiners are doing the same thing. They're waiting for certain things to be really relevant and then they'll they'll move it onto the Bitcoin blockchain. So I think we're going to see um, the smart contract move over. I mean, if you're a retailer today, they say you want to you want to accept dollars. Well, yeah, we'll accept dollars. You want to accept um, uh, stable coins. Well, yeah, maybe we'll accept stable coins. You want to accept Bitcoin? Yes. You want to accept some of these other altcoins, ah, I don't know what those things are. I know there are only 21 million Bitcoin out there, but there might be, a, there is a varying number of Ethereum, a varying number of all these other tokens. And so mm -hmm. there's no certainty that you are going to have a hedge against inflation with the other tokens. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's clearly a lot of industries that blockchain technology is revolution, revolutionizing right now. Um, so between, say, art, financial services, healthcare, gaming, and the government, where do you see, where do you think we'll see mainstream adoption first? Well, mainstream adoption is already starting to happen. But I, I would say um, it's, it's interesting that the gamers didn't um, jump into bitcoin they still have their own little you know it's the gold or diamonds or whatever that is inside the game mm -hmm. um, so i don't know if the gamers are going to be first but maybe a new generation of gamers will come along and make it so that they can actually use real bitcoin i do i do understand and i have since 2003, 2004, when I met this guy from Korea and he told me about a game called Legends or, yeah, I think so. League of Legends? Yeah. I, no, it was called something, it was in Korean, so I don't really know what it meant. But he showed me that half of his world was virtual and the other half was in the physical world. And he showed me also that there would be real estate out there and currency out there and whatever else. And so mm -hmm. what we're really talking about is this virtual world that continues to grow. And the physical world becomes a, a smaller and smaller portion. It will still be a big portion, but smaller and smaller portion of our, of our economy. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's um, fun to think about, you know, where that can all go. But um, for now, it, it just makes sense that people will be um, more and more adopting Bitcoin and less and less being tied to government currencies. And, uh, and 
And I think in generally big industries start from a bunch of people having fun. And that happened, I think, with the originators of Bitcoin. I think they were all having fun. And so I think it will continue to grow in that way. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a real, really interesting transformation. I think we're going to see some major um, changes in the world, and they'll happen somewhat gradually. But they will be like when you go forward 10 years and look back, you'll say, oh, my God, so much has happened. Same thing as every decade. A lot a lot happens. In fact, the, the top seven, seven of the top 10 companies on the top 10 list, the, the most valuable companies in the world have turned over every 10 years. So only three remain. So if you think that uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, Apple, and Amazon, and Facebook are going to be in the in the top ten, all of them are going to be in the top ten a year, ten years from now, you're mistaken. I think they're going to be. I think it's going to be you know Bitcoin, Coinbase, SpaceX. It's going to be a different group. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And we definitely love Bitcoin and Ethereum here on this channel because it's so decentralized and nobody can control it. Unlike some of these other blockchains that only run 10 or 20 nodes and it can be halted at any time, you know, they're really only pseudo decentralized. Um, so my question here is, to what extent do you think retail investors actually care about decentralization? Because it seems like a lot of these retail traders are sacrificing security for low transaction fees, like, for example, Binance Smart Chain. Sure. Yeah, um, you know the retail investor um, is tends to be more transaction oriented, so they're more sensitive to the transaction fees. Um, I tend to invest for the long haul, and and buy and hold, and I go through all sorts of machinations. And boy, you sure you've sure seen some extraordinary volatility. <laughs> In the dollar as it's compared to uh, to Bitcoin. And you'll probably continue to see that over time. Um, and so the retail investor may be more sensitive to uh, transaction fees. And so that mm -hmm. transaction fee may, business may be a race to the bottom. But, but all of these groups are going to have better and better services long term. I don't know if this is answering your question. The, but I think, um, you know, I expect um, Coinbase to continue to provide more and more services to their clients and we'll all be benefiting from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, trading, the trading business or the, you know, those all those margins just keep shrinking over time because it becomes a commodity business. But if if they hold your money and you are a um, customer of that business, then that's why I think Coinbase will be bigger than Binance. Because yeah, I think Binance is really for those the quick twitch transactions, mm -hmm. and uh, and Coinbase is for those people who are who are building a portfolio using their um, their custody, 
using the, uh, you know, uh, operating, in effect, replacing all the things that banks do too. For sure. And I know Coinbase is big on decentralization. I've heard Brian Armstrong say he wants to implement dApps onto Coinbase and be basically the app store for decentralized applications, which I think for longevity is a great thing. Um, I also wanted to touch on regulation with so many rug pulls in the DeFi ecosystem these days. It's clear there needs to be a little bit more and more regulation in the space. So what parts of DeFi do you think? Well, that's not clear. Are... That isn't clear uh, to me. I, I look and I okay. say... Um, the the world is opening up and we now have these new um, decentralized systems and they're just starting to flourish. And the ones that really grow are going to make the world a much better place. And, you know, like Unstoppable is providing free speech for the world. It's amazing. And that free speech is going to be incredibly valuable for people all around the world. You know, if you're in Sudan, you can talk about that you don't like the leader. You know, you're, if you're in Tibet, you can talk about how free Tibet from China. Um, so you're going to be seeing <clears throat> um, this decentralized world completely open the world up. And the regulators are looking and going, wait, well, some of them are going are saying this is a great thing for our economy. Everybody's going to be wealthier. Everybody's going to be more um, engaged. Uh, more transactions are going to occur. We're just going to be a wealthier country. Let's let this thing go uh, and ride through the um, through our, our country. And then the ones that are control-based, the ones that think I've got to control everything, they are um, they're going to take their countries down a, a horrible rat hole as they try to overregulate something that should be very light touch. And uh, and so I, I don't agree with the idea that it has to be more regulated, I think. And I think the SEC would agree with me. I think most of the SEC feels like that they want they basically want more exchange, more innovation, more technology, and then they still have a mandate of trying to uh, protect the widow and the orphan. And I actually think they need to maybe protect the widow, but not the orphan. The orphan is, let's say it's a 25-year-old orphan, give them, a, give them a shot at making a lot of money. Give them, you, know, you can fail several times along the way to success, and I think we want to encourage that. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Are there any parts of decentralized finance you think do need more regulation, though? Well, <laughs> I think that um, I think it needs a different spin. Um, I actually think that um, and and what this would take is a leader who really understands the, the how economics works and really understands cryptocurrency and uh, and how it works. But there are two things that, and I, I start with taxes because that, that drives most of the forced regulations. I think you could, you could do one of two things. One is you could just tax every little transaction that happens um, in the crypto world in a, some tiny, tiny way. 
uh, you know, 0 0.001 penny for every transaction. That would probably be enough to support the, you know, the whole economic system of, of government. Um, but, but the other way to do it is just say, if a business is operated in Bitcoin, it should be treated exactly as if it were operated in dollars. So that means that the accounting, the whole system and the tax system would be all in Bitcoin rather than having it have to be translated to dollars and back to Bitcoin, back to dollars, back to Bitcoin. Uh, because I think that would be a really valuable thing to do. Um, putting regulations on things just to tell people that they can't do something is runs anathema to the U.S. and its and its freedom uh, charter. I mean, U.S. is a free country, and if you start telling people in the U.S. what they can and can't do you start moving more towards socialism and communism. And as everyone knows, they don't work. They didn't work in North Korea. They didn't work in East Germany. They didn't work anywhere they were. Socialism and communism just don't work, never have. And, and they're not gonna work in China if China starts going back the old way. It's not gonna work there either. Freedom, free markets, trust, a, a free and open society. I think those are the things that are going to work and will continue to work. And the less people have to force, the less the, the regulators impose on their people, the more valuable the whole system becomes. And that's been th true throughout. The average South Korean is not only 460 times earn earns 460 times as the as much as the average North Korean, but they are now 70 years later they are now four inches taller than the average North Korean. Hmm. I mean, it makes no sense to go back to where governments are trying to tell everybody what to do. In fact, beware. I mean, you got to fight, continue to fight for fight against that creeping of regulation, that creeping government that comes along where they say, okay, well, first we're going to have you wear masks and then we're going to have you walk goose step and then we're going to do this. And then it just gets worse and worse. So you have to just, you know, if, if sure, if for everybody's health reasons, you have to wear a mask, fine, but don't let that creep in so that we're, we're waiting for the government to tell us what to do next. We need freedom to do the things that, that work for us. Nice. So crypto and DeFi are only a few years away from some meaningful, uh, truly mainstream adoption. Um, what do you see as the largest hurdle left to overcome before this can happen? Yeah, I think they've been overcome. It's just a matter of having those products proliferate through the world. Um, mm. Because with OpenNode, you can't... If I'm a merchant and I know about OpenNode, I sign up day one because then I can accept Bitcoin and mm -hmm. Ethereum and uh, and I can run my shop that way. And I can accept I could also make it like 
30% Bitcoin and 70% dollars so that I can keep my, my operation going, but I can be um, retaining the currency of the future. People ask me, why, when are you going to sell your Bitcoin? And I look at them and I say, wait, into what? Why would I ever trade my Bitcoin, which is the currency of the future, for the currency of the past? It would be like taking your euros and turning them into French francs. Uh, it, it doesn't, or, or Greek drachma. It doesn't make any sense because we have an evolutionary world and, and we're moving toward Bitcoin and away from fiat. And that's just going to that's a trend that will just continue for years and years to come. And then uh, and then the other um, the other thing that I've I've seen that not everybody has seen is that you can use Cryptio, uh, this company Cryptio, to do all your accounting in Bitcoin. And so then it then that can take care of all of all of that. You know, when people say, well, no, the, whether the regulators need to do, I think they can do less. I think they can actually do less because uh, crypto and the blockchain create trust. Mm -hmm. And Bitcoin is, uh, you know, the most trustworthy because it hasn't been hacked, knock on wood, um, <laughs> currency system in the world today. And, uh, and so now with crypto, you can have that trust in the accounting for the most trusted currency. And, uh, and, and that's what regulators are all really trying to do. They're trying to create um, trust in the system. And, uh, and the ones that are the great ones are also creating freedom in the system. And what promotes freedom and trust the most? It's Bitcoin. There you go. Uh, so back in 2018, you predicted that Bitcoin's price would reach $250,000 by 2022. Uh, it looks like your thesis is playing out quite perfectly. Um, where did that number come from? And do you have a subsequent price prediction for Ether? Uh, well, I don't have one for ETH. Um, I'm less interested in it. I think it's sort of uh, number two and it'll it'll be less and less relevant over time. I mean, it's important for a lot of this innovation and, and the, it's also important for the, uh, uh, the new technologies that are, that are being tried on it. But I, I think Bitcoin is far more important long-term. Hmm. Um, well, I was dead on, on the prediction when, when I think Bitcoin was, a uh, selling at $180 and I got on CN or I got on Fox News and I said um, that Bitcoin was going to be $10,000 within three years. And it was almost three years to the day that it hit 10000 And then it dropped down to about 4000 <clears throat> in 2018. And I said that at that point, I said that Bitcoin by the end of 2022 or early 2023, uh, Bitcoin will hit $250,000. And, you know, of course, they always think I'm crazy until it happens. And uh, and that's the way it looks like it's going to be. Um, I do it with some combination of analytics and some and some combination of gut feel and some uh, piece of having a good sense for what's happening five years from now. Everyone I meet 
who's an entrepreneur, I, I meet eight entrepreneurs a day. Those entrepreneurs are all telling me about what they think the future is going to look like five to 15 years from now. And by bringing all those things together, I, I'm able to predict better. And so I, I think we're I, I think I'm, we're right on track. We'll see how it goes. Um, but we're right on track to hit prediction again. So uh, in the moving on to like the more larger scale companies and even countries um, getting their own crypto and blockchain, we'll just take a for start, take Facebook's Libra and the digital one. Who do you think in if it's a country or a big tech giant? Like what is your outlook on those? You know, I think they're, uh, neither one is going to be um, the long-term winner. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why. Bitcoin, one of the four major pillars of Bitcoin is, well, first it's decentralized, but that it's global and it's open and transparent. Um, those two currencies only have the open and transparent of the two of the four uh, pillars. So, uh you know, I, I was all excited when um, there was the Aurora coin. Mm -hmm. And that was when Iceland came up with a coin. It was like back in 2013 or 2014. And I thought, that's great. That's awesome. And then they, they made it very clear that th this was only going to be accepted in Iceland. And I thought, you missed the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> and now China's a bigger market than Iceland. But they've missed the whole point. Mm-hmm point is that this is a global world. It's a global economy. We all benefit from trading and helping each other. And we should keep it that way. And, and having a global currency that is, that is universally trusted is way better than having one that has a, the iron grip of some, you know, communist dictator. And I think we're going to, um, they're going to experience that. And I think Libra was close because they were centralized, but they were trying to decentralize it, you know, like bringing in all these partners. Um, but I think it's still centralized. And uh, I mean, there is some value to like the economy is already starting to happen. Like, I think if Amazon did this, um, that would be pretty interesting. Or, or if Alibaba did it, it would be pretty interesting. But I think it's a lot easier to just um, include Bitcoin in the shopping cart. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we got it. It's here. There's a bunch of rumors that they would take uh, Do Amazon is going to take Dogecoin, but it turned out to be a whole thing. But if they're going to take that, they have to take Bitcoin, Litecoin, all those others. And like you said, the b being as a global payment, that's the whole um, the whole key. And with these, some of these being decentralized, like say a Facebook, you said they were going to try to decentralize it, but there's all that always at back of your head. Like, are, is Facebook really going to try to decentralize a product that they have? Cause they have the whole stranglehold on everyone's data on everything. So it kind of goes against what they, they were growing up to know them as, but what do you think a solution for some of these companies or even countries to be, should they just make their, their crypto um, and blockchain just fully open, fully decentralized localize it there and let it spread and then you know maybe bring people in that way like what would you say be a solution to you know the issue of it being a centralized decentralized um currency 
Well, I think Japan had it right. And now El Salvador and mm -hmm. Malta. Bitcoin should be a national currency. And then it becomes an international currency and eventually it's a global currency. There, It's coming. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of noise out there, but it's coming. It's this like slow, steady snowball. And it's growing and growing and growing and growing. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a drumbeat. It's the Bitcoin drumbeat. And it's just coming. And and governments are going to, you know, the, the bad governments are going to resist it. And the good governments are going to adapt it and, and uh, embrace it. And the good governments are going to, 40 years from now, people are going to look back and, and say, boy, those guys in Japan, they were so smart. They made Bitcoin a national currency early. You know, those those guys in El Salvador, so smart. They made Bitcoin their national currency. And um, and 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 then the ones that try to resist it or try to create their own or whatever, people are going to look and say, oh, yeah, kind of a nice little also ran. Gotcha. Well, what do you Tim, oh, go ahead. Thank you so go much ahead, for uh, sharing your insights with us today. I know that we are out of time, um, but I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Uh, and we hope to have you back on in the future. Um, but yeah, thanks for stopping by. Great. My Thank pleasure. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com.